0: Allowables. I killed a spider, not a murderous brown recluse, nor even a black widow. And if the truth were told, this was only a small, sort of papery spider who should have run when I picked up the book. But she didn't, and she scared me, and I smashed her. I don't think I'm allowed to kill something because I am frightened.
1: That was poet, activist, and teacher, Nikki Giovanni, reading her poem, Allowables. Thank you for joining the conversation today. I'm Lily Rowe, the Community Outreach Archivist at Emory University Library's Stuart A. Rose Manuscript, Archives, and Rare Book Library. And you are listening to the new podcast series, Rose Library Presents Community Conversations. The Rose Library promotes access and learning, equity and justice by documenting, preserving, and making accessible distinctive and diverse collections and records, fostering original research and critical engagement with the past by engaging diverse communities through innovative outreach, programming, and exhibitions. Community Conversations features Rose Library staff interviewing guests who are connected to our collections. Ms. Giovanni visited the Emory University campus in February 2020 as the guest poet for the 20th anniversary of the Twelfth Night Rebel and as the featured poet in the Raymond Donowski Poetry Library reading series. She was kind enough to be the first person we interviewed for our Community Conversations series. In today's Inarcar episode, Rose Library Instruction Archivist Gabrielle Dudley talks with Ms. Giovanni about her collection, writings, and Ms. Frisbee and the Rats of Men.
2: Miss Giovanni, I'm so excited uh, to have you joining me for the inaugural episode of the Rose Libraries podcast. Um, while we do not have your personal papers, your influence has loomed so large uh, within our rare book holdings and archival collections. So it's really a pleasure to have you here today.
0: I'm glad to be here, at Emory. Thank you. I love Atlanta. <laughs> so, oh, good. Atlanta's yeah. a great city. Absolutely.
2: So before I, was, I even thought about being an archivist, I was a reader. So still today, I'm an avid reader and... And especially enjoy literature written by black women. I've been very fortunate and a little spoiled, really, uh, to have daily access to the personal papers of writers like Mari Evans, Pearl Clegg, Alice Walker, Lucille Clifton, and others. Several years ago, I became interested in how archives allow us to see the intimate friendships and connections between writers that are not apparent from your published works. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in the ways that Black women, especially, held space for one another. Um, I curated an exhibition titled She Gathers Me, which will be traveling um, throughout the state of Georgia until February 2020, Mm -hmm. that sort of explores that issue. I believe that it's important for us to understand this idea of literary lineages and um, would like to think about the early days of your career. So you're a poet, and you're an activist, and you've influenced so many writers and musicians and other artists. Can you talk a little bit about um, the writers that have influenced or mentored you, especially early in your career?
0: Let's roll back a little bit. You were talking about uh, the the archive itself. And what I know, I, I grew up with my grandmother. Uh, I, I, I grew up in Knoxville, and my parents had a troubled marriage, and... Um, I went to visit grandmother and asked if I could live with them, my grandpa, but she said, uh, I'll have to ask John Brown, which she didn't really mean. She she knew that, that she, she made the decisions for the house. But what was important that grandmother did, was we had a cellar. And in the old days, cellars kept the coal. Mm-hmm. So the coal man would come once a week and give you a ton of coal or something like that. Now, we we're in, in Knoxville, mm-hmm. Tennessee. So once we went to electricity, we no longer needed the coal. And a couple of times, grandmother said to me, you know, we ought to go and clean out the cellar. Mm. I said, okay, grandma, because whatever grandmother wanted to do was fine with me. And we go down there, and of course, she had saved some of my great-grandmothers. We called her Mama Dear. And Mama Dear was the free child of slave parents. Mm. And one of the things that we found that I still have was a mirror. And we didn't know it's a silver mirror. And people don't remember or realize that slaves did not know how they looked mm. because they did not have mirrors. Mm-hmm. And we always thought, or grandmother said, that, that maybe Mama dear, you know, stole the, the mirror. And I think, how does a slave who has been stolen, steal? Mm-hmm. So, I, grandmother, you know, Mama dear took that. But it was interesting because now the African American Museum in D.C., Doctor uh, Birch, and what Lonnie found out is he's traveling around trying to build this. Is that there were a bunch of old ladies, not a bunch. I mean, I mean no disrespect. Mm-hmm who had things buried in their cellars. Mm. One of which he was talking to an older lady and she said, "Well, I've got this this book. Let me go. We've kept it and her great-grandmother had kept it in oh. the cellar wrapped up, you know, because we, they were all oh, they always were wrapping things up and it got passed down to her. He, she went and got it to show it to Lonnie, and of course, it was Frederick Douglass's Bible.
2: Yeah, oh wow.
0: <laughs> so, when we talk about archives, mm-hmm. we're talking about what is in the cellar. Mm-hmm. So, you archivists, as you're looking at things, you know, we're just a poet, I'm just a poet. So, all I'm going to do is end up at some point with a poem What's in the Cellar? Mm -hmm. and what's in the cellar is not somebody to harm us or some murder or something. What's in the cellar is is a part of our history. Mm -hmm. And you realize how little money those ladies had, and yet when you dig into those cellars, though we have very few of them now, you find silver, you find silver spoons Mm -hmm. that they wanted to own silver. So for every nickel that they had, they must have been saving, you know, two cents so that they could purchase a silver spoon or that they could find a way to buy crystal glass. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's, it's unbelievable what they were doing because they wanted to show that they had something. They wanted to show they, too, were ladies, and they knew how to handle things. So I think of archives, of what you you people are doing. My papers are, of course, at um, at the Moogah Memorial. And I say, of course, simply because they've been there for forever— And I wanted my papers, I was invited to archive my papers, Mm -hmm. uh, or I guess the term could also be to seller my papers Mm -hmm. at the Mooger Memorial Library. And I thought it was important. I know some writers say, oh, I want to sell my papers because I'm important. Well, first of all, I wasn't important, but even if I had been, some things can't be sold because Mm -hmm. it's just money. Mm -hmm. Some things we have to keep because it's important. Mm -hmm. And they've been keeping my papers now since 1968, so I have a room that's a little bit bigger than the size of the room we're in, and they're now digitizing. And it's not just Nikki because I knew everybody, mm-hmm. and so we have letters from almost every
2: yes.
0: every black person and and a few not black people. Uh, as as we look at the '60s and as we look at at the arts movement, we have the notes and the notes that I have. We have everything is there because you didn't want everything to be split up. Right. You didn't want you know half of your papers here, half of your papers there. I thought if there was going to be a history and if it survived, then you could look at my papers to see this is, this is the way we need to look at, at, at some of the things.
2: Yeah, that's so—in uh, 1968, you knew to give your papers to an archive. Um, do you think that that was a good decision for you at oh. the time? You were very, you know, uh, early in your career.
0: It was an excellent decision because I am a history buff. And I've always loved history. And my good friend, whom I love so much, Juliana Richardson, calls me the poster child for, for <laughs> archiving. It just was one of those things that made sense to me. There has to be a way, when people are looking for something, to find what's the story. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a black American, so I'm going to come from people who are enslaved. A part of that's going to be our African ancestors sold us to our European ancestors who sold us to our, what is going to become American ancestors. There has to be a story there. And the only way we're going to be able to tell this story, to, to know what the story is, because we were not allowed to write and, and, and give books. We told our story through spirituals. But then when we go back and look at the history, we're looking at Germany, we're looking at Russia, we're looking at, at Poland. Those same people, they were not black Americans. And many of them... Thought they were not enslaved, but they were certainly <laughs> underpaid to the point that they were. They told their story mm-hmm. through folk tales. So you start to look at, and I, I've always been fascinated. You're looking at Little Red Riding Hood, who in their right mind, what mother in her right mind would send a child through the forest <laughs> in a red outfit with a basket full of goodies, and think that she's going to get there all right? So something else is going on. Mm-hmm. We know Humpty Dumpty is about the king and about getting rid of the, the king. These are some of the things we know. So it's interesting. I haven't done it because I'm, I'm not that kind of scholar. I'm just a poet. But it's going to be interesting to see as your generation and the generation behind you starts to look at these stories, comparing and contrasting the folk folktales with the, with the spirituals because both groups are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're telling their children, this is the world we live in, and this is how I want you to be able to handle the world in which we live.
2: So I, w- I want to take a step back to something uh, very intriguing that you uh, said. So you talked about this idea of the cellar.
0: Um,
2: so tell me, what's in your cellar?
0: What are the things that you collect? If I collect hippos. I started collecting hippopotami a long time ago because, as I said, my parents had a troubled marriage, and I thought that there should be something to solve that. And the best thing to solve it was hippos. Hippos kill more human beings than anybody else, so I fell in love. They do, and I fell in love with hippos. I thought, yeah, that's what we need is a hippopotamus. I have been collecting hippos. I'm 76 years old. The the house is practically full of them. I've been collecting those um, forever. But I love, of course, books. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other thing, and I just wrote a poem about that, our home had a living room and a dining room. Mm -hmm. And they're both gone now. There's nothing in there but books. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm trying to convince certain people who will remain nameless, practically, that we need to get rid of the garage and... Turn that into a library. I'm not having much luck with that, but, um, you know, you eat. Somebody else said it. I didn't. But you eat with your eyes. And you want things to be pretty. And in our home, I want to be able to look at our mm-hmm. books, there are certain books you want to look at. I really love, of course, children's illustrated books, mm-hmm. and, and how could you not because they're wonderful. And I've had the extreme pleasure of working with uh, Ashley Bryan and working with Kadir Nelson. I really hope before, for lack of a better word, before it's all over, I really hope to to be able to work with Jerry Pinkney because mm-hmm. I really love what Pinkney does. And God willing, I would work with with Diane Dillon. You know, Leo is 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 gone. Mm-hmm. I'm doing so much more now in my in my earlier work, we were talking about the history and people. But this work, I, I sit and I look at my, my, my birds. I sit and look at my I have goldfish. Oh. Uh, when it gets dark, I, I wait for the bats to come out. I'm writing in a very different way. And uh, I'm, I'm an old woman, and I think that it's easy to see that I am. I'm not a youngster who thinks I can change the world. I'm just an old woman who knows I will not let the world change me.
2: So tell me about the way that you write. So you've said that the way that you write has changed as you uh, age. So
0: tell me about how that's changed for you maybe in the last 10 years or so. Oh, I don't think that it's changed so much as that, you know, you grow. Mm. And the things that you, what you're interested in at, at, at 25, you're just not interested in at 50. And 50 used to seem to me to be old. You know, you'd, oh, gosh, he's 50 years old. And now I look at fifty and like, wow, he's only fifty, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Or when Kobe Bryant, we asked Kobe, he said, oh my God, he's only forty-one. And now you're looking at that that only. And uh, I'm always these these are things that I'm I, I I've been writing about how you use only. Mm-hmm. And so actually, I'm only seventy-six, <laughs> and I know people that are. Older, because I have so many friends, uh, Ashley is only 93. Mm-hmm. And so you begin, the older you get, that only mm-hmm. comes in. And if you love spirituals, which I do, that they do the same thing. But sometimes, if you, you listen to any of the spirituals, they do that sometimes. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel all, I mean, look at the spirituals and what they're doing. So it's not always. Sometimes I feel that my work is unappreciated. Un, 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 un sometimes, which means sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. I love what the spirituals do, but sometimes, and I find myself doing it with with only. What is that word doing, and, and what weight is that word carrying? And it would carry a very different thing 50 years ago. I'm intrigued
2: by this library of yours um, at your home. Who are you reading now? Are there any writers or poets that you're really inspired by or that you can't wait to get your hands on their books?
0: Oh, well, I... I'm reading a bunch of people. I'm reading right now uh, because I have, thank God, a uh, Kindle. I'm reading The New Negro, uh, the biography of Alain Locke because it's like 600 pages Mm -hmm. and it'd be more book than I could carry. I love the work of Renee Watson. Who is was a YA writer. I just love Renee did. I, I wrote her a fan letter, and she was surprised. She said, I got a fan letter. I said, oh, yeah, I, lo- I love what you do. And I read all of uh, my good friend and my e- essentially my literary son, uh, Kwame Alexander, mm-hmm. because I've, I've been doing a lot of YA just to see. And Kwame started me actually with the YA because uh, he's the one. Once he started doing it, I went back to mm-hmm. see you know, what have I been What have I been missing? And one of my favorite books, actually, is um, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. I just absolutely love it. And I, I, I love Mrs. Frisbee because I'm a single mother, too. And she is going to have to take care of these children, and she's got one who's sick. So she's like anybody else in the ghetto, and she's going to have to figure out who can help her. And actually, the only people who can help her are the rats. But we know that rats and mice don't get along. But she has to do something to save Timothy so she's going to have to find a way to ask the rats to help her mm-hmm. and the rats are going to say okay we remember that when we needed help the mice helped us so we're going to help you but my favorite rat of all of those and I it brings tears to my eyes most time when I talk about it is Jonathan and when Jonathan realizes that the rats have to get out and they have to get out quickly he knows that the people coming from them have to find a body mm-hmm. that they're, they're not going to accept not having it. So, it's Jonathan who goes back. So, if you were a a scholar, then, of course, Jonathan is your Jesus figure. He's the one that gives up his life to save the group.
1: Community Conversations is produced by Lolita Rowe and Nick Twimlow. Jacob Chisinau is our editor. Music created by Sister Cy. We are grateful for the support provided by our colleagues at the Rose Library, Jennifer King, Director of the Rose Library, and Yolanda Cooper, Dean of Emory Libraries. Special thanks to Nikki Giovanni for her words and insights, and to her partner, Virginia Fowler. Also to Gabrielle Dudley for conducting this interview, and to the Emory Center for Digital Scholarship. Please join us next month for the second half of our interview with Nikki Giovanni. For more information about Rose Library and our other podcast series, Behind the Archives and Atlanta Intersections, please visit us online at rose.library.emory.edu and follow us on Rose Library's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find Community Conversations and our other podcasts on all your favorite podcast feeds.